This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you haven't heard about Anchor, let me tell you, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Check this out. It is free. No, I'm serious. It's free, 100%. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor then distributes that podcast for you, and you can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can also make money from that podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. This episode also features former Lauer Ranger Daniel Brooks, a.k.a. Coach Debro. Now, Danielle has asked to be removed from future episodes. However, David gets pretty real tonight when talking about an eating disorder that he has. We couldn't in good conscience remove her question or his answer from this episode. If you or anyone you know suffers from any mental health disorder, please reach out to somebody, talk to somebody, you are not alone. Look at you guys. <laughs> Look We're at all you all dressed up. That, right that jacket is amazing, by the way. Thank you. It's in the, it was in the rotation for today. Okay, okay. That's, that's fire. That's fire. <laughs> David. It's nice David. to see your face, too, for once. That's, it's been a while. <laughs> so I shave once a week only. I hate shaving, but I don't want the crazy beard I had, but I'll shave before Monday's show and then let it go. So you can tell which day of the week a show is because there's eventual shadow, <laughs> and then I shave again for the next week. What is the best nickname that you got while you had your beard? Uh, in terms of feeding my ego, early on it was Clooney. So that was positive. <laughs> nice, nice. But That's it good. morphed quickly into Hobo. Which does, it con- does it concern you away. that Stu Gotts also gets Clooney? Um, that <laughs> is an outrage. Is an outrage. <laughs> I love the guy. People who think we look alike, it is offensive <laughs> to those without glasses, I guess. I Did love you name your beard? Did I name my beard? Yeah, There's right. only one thing of mine I ever named, and that's when I was a kid. <laughs> my beard is named Joyce. You named your beard Joyce. Well, when I got married, the the uh, the person get, uh, marrying us, they messed she messed up my name and called me Joyce. So all my friends joked that she was talking about my beard. Beard. <laughs> so I have one friend when he ever sees me, he greets me by rubbing my beard and calls like, "Hey, Joyce." 
Does that still happen in the time of COVID? Are you still no, greeted that way? No, I'm not still greeted that way. I'm still always at my house. Isn't it strange with all the mask wearing that you can't see people's faces and you have to, it's like a, it's like we're all living through a scene of Grey's Anatomy where you, or MASH where you can only learn about what people are thinking with their eyes. And I'm so shitty at that. So I miss social use all the time. I think someone's being friendly and they're saying like, fuck off. And I, I figure that people, are, I, it's terrible. I was just talking to someone in the elevator about that. And I think she didn't want to engage with me at all, but her eyes weren't good enough. So I thought her eyes were saying, talk to me. And I think they were saying like, quiet. <laughs> I can agree, David, living in New York where like you walk around the neighborhood and you see people, you know, the number of times I've walked past someone I know and I'm like, should I have stopped and said hello? But I'm not sure it was them. And like the mask is to hear and was it them? And it's just like, <laughs> you're like, well, you don't want to stop because you don't necessarily want to like engage because you don't want to be too close, but you also don't want to be rude. And it's like, all right, uh, what do I do? It's funny. It's a shit show. Yes. Hey David, I just, uh, I just finished yesterday's local hour. It was, it was great as always. Thank um, you. I can't um, how do you... remember what we talked about. <laughs> it was good. It was in St. Jetersburg. Oh God, that was funny. Yeah, he tried. Dan tried to get you to answer a question you didn't want to answer, and you didn't back down. I admire that. <laughs> he is. Uh, I the reason why everyone with the Marlins hated Dan and uh, our owner hated Dan is they they felt as though Dan and Dan and I laugh about this off the air all the time that he manipulates me, and he's never manipulated me ever. I will only any headline I create, I create purposefully, and. Uh, it's uh, it's pretty funny. No, he would not get out of me. I wouldn't do that. Are you liking having uh, Dan on those those lowers? Because it was just you and Mike doing the conversations for a while now. Like I feel like you guys had a rhythm as far as like telling your story with the Marlins. Um, uh, like obviously, I don't think you dislike having Dan there, but like, is it is it kind of changed the nature of those conversations a little bit? Yeah, it has actually. I think I think Dan saw that the content was good and wanted to be a part of that, um, which I'm happy. It's good to see him. I'm happy sure, about that. Sure. I have no problem with that. He's very additive as well, um, but it changes the rhythm for sure. Anytime yeah. there's a three-man booth instead of a two-man booth, it's different. And Mike, I think he won't admit this publicly, but I think that he enjoyed sort of being solo and and as part of his continued evolution as his own personality because Dan's an overpowering guy. Sure. And there's genuflecting that goes on, which is deserved uh, because of who Dan is and et cetera. But it definitely changes, I would say, the mojo. Yeah. And uh, Dan- I'm seeing it because Mike is so good at making everybody, like gearing the conversation toward what he- I don't know, to make people look good. And then you have Dan who's just like interjecting questions and cutting you off and changing the subject. And <laughs> I think Mike's perfect at finding the balance of getting good content, but like they've been saying recently, not burning the bridge and kind of like what they've done with you, David. I mean, they engage you, you get what you want out of it. So you come on every week. And I think that's the perfect recipe, you know? Yeah. I mean, we had an agreement that, uh, you know, part of my CBS deal is I'm allowed to do Purposely, I, I said that I needed to continue to do ESPN uh, as it related to the Levitard show because I enjoy that. And uh, I like having fun if I'm going to work. If you can work and enjoy what you do, it feels better. But uh, Dan is definitely, uh, 
I understand why people say what they say about Dan. There's, there's a certain element of gotcha to Dan and he hides behind this sort of naivete thinking, oh, I didn't mean that or no, I'm not. I just, people talk to me, people say things to me, but he has a way of drawing people to say things they don't want to say. Um, but, uh, not with me. And Mike is, Mike is more of a producer, but he's turning into a interviewer and it's a different talent. It really is. Also the, the, the different generations that Mike, you know, cause I would, I would argue Mike's one, basically one generation behind Dan. So they're, relationship to the Marlins when you were there is different. Mike was coming up as just like a wide-eyed baseball fan and Dan was writing for the Miami Herald and you know and on air on the radio and stuff so they're going to have very different questions and different angles and approaches to discussing uh, your your time with the Marlins. I always find it funny when when they ask a question that triggers a story that you have completely forgotten and you can hear the recognition in your voice it like on on nothing personal like i imagine it takes somebody actually asking a specific question to trigger those stories how how weird is that for you when that happens cuz obviously i think you said an 18 year career there there's a lot of stories and you're not going to remember all of them right up front Yes. Yeah, so that is something that Dan has spoken to me about saying that what he says, what I do with nothing personal is something that he couldn't do. He said, you went right to the deep end of the pool doing 45 minutes with nobody to bounce anything off. It's just you for 45 minutes every single day. And Dan uses his entire shipping container as a way to generate thoughts of content and to just have back and forth and frankly, to take a breath. Sure. So he'll call me and say like, how did you get through that show? And uh, the answer is I just somehow get into this zone and I can't explain it because it's not drug-induced, shockingly, where I believe that <laughs> camera is an audience and I imagine in my head what the audience would be reacting to or what they would want to know or what they're thinking. And right. what I do, and here's a tell, on, on the show. When I say Coca's name, <laughs> so here's a little nugget for you guys. Um, since quarantine, when I'm doing the show from here, from my apartment, Coca's not in my ear. Coca is only on my screen communicating with words. Oh, wow. But I will often say, yeah, he's saying this to me. And what I'm doing is I'm buying five seconds sure. to get my head together about how I want to say what I'm about to say. So it's sort of a delay tactic. Right, because right. I always want my brain to be ahead of my mouth. But once in a while, I, I have something I got to get out and I can't figure out exactly how to do it. And so what I do is I say, yeah, Coca's talking to me or, hey, Coca, find this out. Coca, do this. And right. I'm ignoring it, really. I'm just thinking about what's next. Sure. I love when you say that Coca's out mowing the lawn or something. <laughs> I think it's fucking true, man. He disappeared. <laughs> so we have a Google Doc that has the rundown of the show. And it's interactive. So I don't type during the show. Although today I had to because my phone was ringing and all sorts of shit was happening during the show today. But he's always typing stuff in and he does it in colors and he does it in different fonts. When he's angry, he does it in red and big. If I've done something that he doesn't like, if he wants me to move on, if he wants me to switch the order. 
So he communicates solely through characters on a typewriter. When we're in the studio, it's literally piercing in my ear. He'll say, move the fuck on or enough or when are you going to mention this? And it would always be oral and now it's written. So that was an adjustment at first. What's the most pissed off you've gotten him? <laughs> that he's been at me or that I've been at him? Both. Uh, <laughs> I was pretty pissed off today. Actually, it's funny. He, he commented on that because I was aggressive on the show. Because um, I, I kept getting called from CBS during the show. And I kept saying, Coca, please find out what they want. Is everything okay? And he typed back, I'm doing your show. I'm not responding to them. And I said, you fucking disappear. And, and if you watch the show on YouTube today, there's times, and I don't have my glasses on. So there's times that I'm doing this on the show and trying to do this where I'm actually communicating with Coca saying, you're not doing your job. And <laughs> about it after the show. Hey guys, I need to interject. My cousin uh, has a question. Michael Rees. Hello? Hey. What? Hey. Is this Mike Grind? Hi. I, I can't really talk right now. I'm in space, but you look very handsome, David. <laughs> you so much. Where are you? I'm at, I'm at space. What is that? Space is open? I'll explain it later. But I mean, <laughs> you look great. You have one of those lighting rings? No, it's just <laughs> me. Thank you. Look at that jacket. Look at that jacket he's got on. A jacket. Hey, Mike. Is that a taxpayer jacket? The... That's, a, that's a taxpayer jacket. Hey, they. <laughs> oh. oh, my God. They asked whether you are upset that Dan joined our, our show and whether or not that interrupts our mojo. And I said it has changed the mojo for sure because we had a rhythm, just the two of us. Yeah, uh, I still am undecided as to whether or not it's better, but he, he, he knows how to push some buttons. <laughs> I like it. It's different. I'll leave that for everybody else. But as you can tell, uh, this is not really conducive for a podcast recording right now, so... I just got sent a random link while I was out here, and I thought this might be fun. But um, be well, everybody. I'll see you. In Did a I just weeks. hear Esther to the main stage? Did I just hear that? <laughs> Wrong kind of club. Wrong here. kind of club, David. Cinnamon to the main stage. Cinnamon to the main stage. Next up on stage, <laughs> we got Diamond. Diamonds up on stage. Hey, Mike. Oh, he left. Cool. So, so anyway. that that's amazing. I. I I can't believe space is open. Uh, I don't space? think it is. I think he was. He it's said something club. about doing pri something private. I don't think. Oh, it's okay. Yeah. That yeah, makes there was, sense. There was nobody in there at all. So yeah. <laughs> no, but space well, doesn't. It is eight o'clock. Yeah, space Miami doesn't be get open for like six hours. David. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> space is a club in Miami that's famous for allowing underage people inside. And one time, I kidnapped my uh, roommate in Boca at FAU. Drove all the way down. I was 19 years old. Um, and all I had to do was pay like 150 and got in. So it, that's that's what space is all about. Space what do you get for 150? <laughs> Nothing. It's a pretty cool club. I mean, you just get in though. But it's a pretty cool spot. Um, <laughs> well, like 50 story. bucks to get in. Techno type stuff. Yeah. Well, they have different rooms. So they have, uh, and then they have a like a patio area up on top, 
And so if you stay there till seven, eight in the morning, um, it's nice to see the sunrise. Um, I've been to space a few times. Uh, where, where, what's the landmark that I can give you? You know where the Frost Museum is, uh, David? Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's, it's, due, um, it's due west of that, like maybe two blocks. You can see it from the 395. Um, and it's, oh, maybe this will help you out. Gold Rush, it, it's where the, uh, it's in front of the old Gold Rush, which is where you would see cinnamon uh, and destiny and fate and all the other. <laughs> so when I was with the Expos, we would go to clubs in Miami, like Tootsie's, let's say. Of course. Um, because we were pretty anonymous. But once I joined the Marlins, that was the end of that. So space, space is, was now, now it's, it's no longer Gold Rush. Now it's a place called Eleven. Um, and, and it's very much, you know, it's one of these after hour places also where they have, um, it's, not, it's not a strip joint, but they have, um, it's like burlesque. They have, they have women there, um, scantily clad and and you know serving drinks and it's it's got kind of a vegas vibe what are wow. the clubs in wisconsin that are the all-night clubs that open at 5 a.m any of them cruising chubbies remember that whole debacle well they have german supper clubs yes i worked at a german supper club which was nothing to do with the previously mentioned establishments but there the was record. later there was later hosen though right Lots of bronze. I mean, yeah, there was later holes in, but there was like full coverage and all of that. Get over yourselves. Yeah, but there were a lot of brats there. <laughs> yeah, it was a brat Anyways, party for sure. Remember when we were talking about coca? <laughs> yes. No, I don't. Yeah. I've got a question for the group that's not coca related, but is stripper or uh, strip joint related? Well, there's a lot of How coca. Guys... Enough to know about these, Barrett. How there's do a lot you guys of coca feel the, about? Um... Sorry, John. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say there's a lot of coca at Space and a lot of coca at a uh, at Eleven and just about everywhere in Miami. All right, Barrett, go ahead. No, that was it. No, that was worth it. Whatever, it's done. <laughs> so, David, let me ask you: Why isn't he in your ear anymore? Is it just the delay that you would get from having him on the phone, or is it just it's not the worth it? Technology, or because we do it on Zoom, and his concern is that if he keep if he unmutes. Then he then it would get in the way of the tape uh, because on Zoom when I'm talking the yellow box is around me and then when you say something it goes to you mm-hmm. and then it cuts off what I'd be saying so it would interfere with the show. I just assumed he would like call you on like mute himself and then call you on the phone or something but that's fine I was just wondering. David, the technology seems to be not ready for prime time even though we've been doing it for twenty years with this web conference crap. I don't know. It seems to work because no one has figured it out and it, it has not hurt the show at all, but it's just been a change. But I don't think CBS said that I may not be back in the studio at all in 2020. Wow. Wow. Jeff, I think I heard you uh, chime in. Do you have something? Yeah. So I was wondering, um, in your new uh, podcasting endeavor, as it were, um, what happens or what have you um, done when you find yourself having to pee in the middle of a podcast. <laughs> so during runs, I'm training for a big, the reason I wanted to join you guys, other than the fact that it had been a while, is I wanted to talk to Dean because I'm training for something totally insane right now. And uh, 
there are times during runs almost every time when I have to be creative during, like I did 18 miles this morning and uh, I often have stomach issues when I run. But uh, during the show, it has not, knock on wood, we've done, I don't know, 220 of them. Uh, it has never happened. So the answer is, it's like when you're acting or when you're giving a speech, somehow I think adrenaline blocks the sphincter. No, I haven't that, figured out the math of that, but I think it's true. I think there's science behind that, probably. Appreciate it. <laughs> what, what's the thing that you're training for right now? Uh, a 100-mile race from Jacksonville, oh, wow. Daytona. And you have 30 hours to do it. So it starts at 6 a.m. on Saturday in the first weekend of December. And you have to be done by noon Sunday. Wow. Do you have a team that'll be like riding alongside you the entire time? Yeah. So you have to crew it yourself. Um, sure. So there, I think actually the Marlins bus is going to be the crew. Uh, <laughs> yes. So the bus will be there for all 30 hours. And I think I'll need every last second of it. There's oh a bunch God. of us doing it. And if we can all get to the starting line uninjured, but I was going to speak to Dean about training, about how he, how he recovers. I read about him because we were going to be on the show together for, and I was mm -hmm. going to pop in for a few minutes that he's famous for having a way to deal with lactic acid that I, I'd like to maybe see if that is transferable because sure. uh, dealing with soreness and, and your, my feet swell during runs, my fingers swell. And when you're out there, the longest race I've ever done is, well, the Ironman was 15 and a half hours and then a double marathon was uh, 15 hours. So I've never done 30. So I don't know right. how to train for that exactly. I, I don't, like, I was wondering, I was thinking about the question I was going to ask him tonight. How do you start to discover that you can run farther and farther and farther and farther? I feel like, obviously, everybody's trying to, beat their personal best but like I don't know I don't know how what the furthest he's ever run is do you know how like what his personal record is I think he ran for like 55 hours straight one time Jesus. did I read that on his Wikipedia page um, I don't about understand 300 it. miles I think yeah I mean he's done he's got a different type of body but your answer your question is a little different everyone can be a runner no matter what you think you can do it, you just have to have the hardest step is the first step. And you've just got to get on the road and do it. And when you have to do five miles, when you're done with five miles, you can't run another step. But then the next day, if you have to do seven, you find a way to do seven. It's so mental. And what he must be able to do, and I wanted to ask him this, he must harness something mentally better than almost anyone in the world because that's really the, the difference. Seriously. All right, I'm going to throw it to uh, Leber Reddit, a.k.a. Mark. He's got a question for you. Go ahead. Hey, David. Uh, so you seem to go harder on Jeter, uh, I guess harder than anyone else I've ever heard you speak about on a regular basis. Is there something about that that maybe drove you more crazy or, or find it more annoying? Or is it just it's because it's recent? But, you know, the last time you were on with Mike this week, Again, you, you were pretty hard on him. So I'm just curious if there's something in particular that drives you nuts or, or what that is. Yeah, he's basically made me a persona non grata in the organization, tried to erase everything. And I have no problem 
with new ownership or with passing the baton. I've talked about that before, either here or on the show or somewhere. But what Jeter has done is made it so that anybody in that organization who talks to me or is friends with me um, or anything, any program I was that I was involved in, he just erased and has made it so the employees can't talk to me. Um, he's been very bitter and very personal. So I've actually tried to not be personal, but I'm not, I don't genuflect toward him. I don't really give a shit about him. I, he's just a guy who bought a team. He's not. And so when he does things as an executive, when he does things right, I'll give him credit. And when he does things wrong, I'm going to call him out. But when I'm asked a question, I'm not scared of him. So, you know, he, when I, when he fired me, I still had a year left on my deal and I had a non-disparagement clause. And I know that he hired lawyers just to listen to everything I said, trying to get me to uh, fire me for cause and not pay me. So I had to be very careful for a year. But once I would, I'd been paid out, I, there's nothing he can do. I don't break the law. He's a public figure like I am, and I can say anything I want about him. And uh, he just takes things hard, and he's made a lot of mistakes. And I'm happy to point out to people because they can inform others how to be leaders. When you think that there's a way to get something done and it doesn't work, you have to acknowledge it didn't work and, and take a different tack, and he doesn't do that. So um, I don't treat him any differently. You know, what, what the Marlins had to do with the outbreak when he did things with furloughed employees and, and, and tried to have them paid for as long as possible, he gets credit when it's due. But for someone like him, he's just not good at his job. So there's not a lot of credit that ends up being worthy of being given to him. Um, quick follow-up, though. Do you, are you annoyed at the lack of respect that the Marlins get for winning two World Series when oh, I'm a Tigers fan. Well, I mean, as much as a baseball fan as I still am, but, you know, they've won one since 1984. You guys come in and win two. So are you annoyed at the Marlins are generally thought of being this losing organization when you guys have won more than just about any baseball team in the last 20 years? Yeah, I don't think about it much. So there's a stat, the number of teams since 2000 who have won multiple World Series. I think it's the Red Sox, the Giants, the Yankees, the Marlins. Um, I'm not sure. Look at those cute kids. I'm not sure that there's any others that I can think of. And the Cardinals. So it's like five out of 30 maybe. And, uh, but I don't get annoyed by stuff like that. If you're going to be in this business and you guys have a successful show, you have to learn to ignore the noise because if you start reacting to it, you're going to lose what makes your content so good. And what makes it good is the way you guys play off each other, the way that the sort of organized chaos of it, and, <laughs> at, right? And don't start believing your own press when it's good. Don't start believing your press when it's bad. Like I saw you guys posting um, when you had ranking, a certain ranking on Apple. And <laughs> I love, and I don't know if you still have it, by the way, you may, you may not, but those things are done in a way that no one understands the algorithm. And so just be careful of that. So the answer is I don't pay attention to any of it. So none of it annoys me at all because I told you my philosophy. I don't believe any compliments that are given to me because that enables me not to believe any insults that are given to me. Solid, right. solid advice. Um, 
just a follow up to that. So I'm, I'm just going to assume that you are a, uh, an avid listener of all of the podcasts that we put out based on that <laughs> advice. So thank you, David. We very much appreciate you as a fan of ours. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, did you see, basically you just said, when you see Derek Jeter, you just see him as a guy who's not very good at his job right now. Where a lot of, did you see other executives or other presidents basically awestruck by the rooms that they were in with other, you know, former baseball players or current baseball players to the degree where they weren't clear headed enough to do business with them? Well, that's an incredibly common thing, except people don't talk about it. And I've been pretty open when I would be sitting interviewing Don Mattingly and thinking to myself, my God, I watched him as a kid and now I'm interviewing him and I've got to separate, you know, my childhood passion from my adulthood job. Uh, there are, there are certain owners who get starstruck by certain players. Mm -hmm. That's when bad signings happen. Right. Um, (laughs) there are certain GMs who get starstruck, but then they learn quickly. So I would say it never went away over my 18 years. There would be times when I would be talking to a player. I'd be sitting around at a, at a table in the lunchroom talking to Stanton and Fernandez, let's say. And I'd be thinking to myself, God, can you imagine how cool it is that I'm doing this? But that's sort of my left shoulder. And my right shoulder is present on the team where we're talking about an issue that we need to deal with a business issue. So I, you don't lose that left shoulder, but the ineffective executives are those whose left shoulder overtakes the right shoulder. And my right shoulder always overtook the left shoulder. All right. We're going to throw it to coach Debro. She's got another question. Yeah, we're going to stick with serious baseball things. What is your favorite drunken ballpark food? Wow, I'm totally embarrassed to tell you this, but I have a uh, <laughs> I have a food problem in that I don't eat a lot, and uh, I have total body dysmorphia, so I always think I'm overweight. Oh and I had a terrible eating disorder many years ago, <laughs> where uh, I was down to like 112 pounds, and I just oh, I didn't eat. And this is when we were putting the ballpark getting ready to open the ballpark in 2012 and I was training for a double marathon and I was starving myself because I saw myself in all these pictures and I would, I, including, and it, it, it lasted into my survivor when I almost got into a legal fight with CBS over a picture they chose to use because it made me look fat. Um, I actually don't know why I'm talking about this, but I am. So here you go. <laughs> it's, uh, so the answer is I don't eat ballpark food. Um, we would have, uh, um, I would bring food in or I'd have the chef when there were chefs make salads. Um, but I would go to concession stands in ballparks just to monitor and see how long lines were. I would go to see how service was. I would order different things and see how they did with presentations during the course of a game. Um, but there's no... If I'm drunk, uh, I'm not eating. If I'm sober, I'm not eating much. I just don't eat a lot in general. So there you go. We are getting really serious. Ever since we did our Izzy pod, we are getting the hard hitters. (laughs) I think it looks great. 
eating disorders are no joke. And yeah. they're, they're not at all. And at it, all. It's, it doesn't go away easily. And I've had a lot of therapy about it. And it's, I don't, uh, I'm now um, up to, well, my current weight is about 124. And I was, and when quarantine first, I, I used to weigh myself about 50 times a day. And I would oh. catalog it and write down what I would eat and what impact that would have, how many ounces I would gain on the scale. And uh, it was a terrible sickness. And uh, I was forced to throw my scale away as part of therapy, which I did. And it was, it was such a hurtful thing to not have a scale that I was writing down what I estimated my weight to be um, because I had to keep doing that. But I, um, when quarantine started, I had gained a bunch of weight and I was at my highest weight ever, which was 143. I'd never had a four handle before. And, uh, since then I've lost about 20 pounds. Wow. Yeah. It's a, I have a friend and he's like one of the most fit people ever. He's a real thin runner. He runs constantly, but he has the exact same problem. Like he just straight up thinks that he's so much heavier than he is. And it's, there's nothing you can tell him. Like he just doesn't believe it because it's in his own head and it's so hard to be a friend in that situation and try to like help him out because I mean, really, I mean, would you say that if you don't really listen to people that try to tell you differently? I don't because everybody tells me that I'm thin and everyone tells me I look good, but I always think they're saying it because of the job I have or because of my public sort of face. And uh, so I don't believe anything that anyone says because I know the truth. So I'll look at a photo and I'll point out things in a photo that make me insane, whether it's side rolls or whether it's some a tan line on your stomach because there there's, um, you know how sometimes when you're tanning and you get necklines, so there's white lines here. I don't know if yeah. you guys, if, if as a Floridian, I, I would know about <laughs> this. So I'm hugely conscious about things that 99.9% .9 of the people don't notice. But to me, I notice all of them. And uh, it's, it's scary. It's not just women who have these disorders. There are plenty of men who do. And I don't, I, I don't talk about it much publicly at all. And privately, I, I do a little bit. Um, but it's, it's, it can be scary to others because there's such a difference between what people who love you, what they see, and you're totally ignoring them, right? And uh, right. you're actually thinking that they're lying to you purposefully because they want you to feel better or look differently. And so you discount what they're saying even more. So it's, it's been a, a long process and I, I'm, I think it's gonna be with me forever. I just sort of, I fight it better now, but in no way am I perfect at all. So in many photos, you'll see me, I often cover my stomach. So I'll, I'll take a photo like this. But when I'm sitting, I put my hand over my stomach. Um, I, I don't often take photos from below because I get the feeling that it's showing all of my chins. And so that makes me self conscious. And it's bizarre because I have a healthy ego. And I don't think I'm a bad looking guy. I just think that I am um, overweight in certain places. It's interesting yeah. to hear because you always talk about how you have such a robotic mentality and you're very factual. So that's really interesting because that's completely opposite of what I think any of us would have ever expected. It's so I go online and I study BMI and I look at 
all these different tables of what weight should be for what height. And it's, it's sort of like an obsession. Um, it's, it's getting better, but I, but by no means, I mean, listen, I ran 18 miles today and I starved and I didn't eat afterwards and I had a Gatorade. And so I'm beginning to, I mean, there's still moments that I find myself abusing my body in a horrible way and it's not healthy at all. Thank Body you just sharing with us and bringing that to light. I don't know how that came up, but I was David. I, I my kinda, stupid drunken ballpark food oh, question. Yes, <laughs> I kind of do the same thing, but not as extreme. But over quarantine, I did get really into like rowing uh, because I could just do it while watching TV during the day. And I guess at one point, do you like start to think that it's a problem? All the monitoring, all the feeling that you have to do crazy workouts and eat right, eat only few, uh, food that's going to be fuel and not, you know, like you said, ballpark food that's just going to, all it's going to do is damage to your body. At what point do you think you start thinking it's a problem and, and seek help? So um, I've never missed a day of work. Um, but there are people who would call that functioning, you know, a functioning alcoholic is an example of someone who can work and, and you wouldn't know they're an alcoholic. I would say I'm a functioning person with body dysmorphia that I don't stay in bed. I make all the appearances I have to make. I'm on time for everything. Um, and I'm on screen all the time. And I don't, I'm not a difficult, if I turned into a guy who said, hey, listen, I can't appear, I'm going to turn my video off or I didn't want any a YouTube channel, or I didn't want to do interviews, or I demanded that only look at me with an angle from above and only the right side or only the left side. If I saw that beginning to happen, I would take note. But the way it is, it's just completely hidden from everybody because I, I literally show up whenever I'm supposed to and do everything I'm supposed to do every single day. Um, so it's a private fight that I have. But when I'm on air, other than you bringing that up, so when I'm on air, I don't think about it. So I'm not now focused on it except for the fact that we're talking about it. But I live in a constant state of, uh, of hunger. Like my stomach hurts a lot. Um, I have GI issues that are probably anxiety-ridden but uh, caused, but also from the eating issue. But uh, I try not to let people know it. Yeah, so, body dysmorphia is a uh, is an often dismissed disorder, particularly among men. Um, obviously, you know, you've we've heard stories about uh, uh, women, you know, suffering from from body dysmorphia issues, but but in in men, it's it's not treated the same uh, as a lot of of those kind of issues are, with the same gravity and seriousness that it should be. Um, thank you for opening up about that. Um, I, I don't, I have no idea how we just, I think the ballpark food question is actually how we got here. So, uh, coach just completely did a Dan Lebetard where she led you down that path and got you to open up well, about I'm that. I'm not going to so. lie to you guys. I told you <laughs> that when I, when you ask a question, I'm going to answer and I'm going to try you, to be true to thousand the percent. audience and you asked the question. So I answered. Absolutely. Hey, absolutely. Mornings, and this is what it turns into. So, David, I, I've got a quick follow up on that question. Um, did did that start uh, in your youth, in your adolescence? Did that start in like early adulthood? Did it start, you know, in college? When when did you notice that that started, you know, becoming 
um, more, more in the forefront. I don't, I don't want to say an issue, but when do they become, you can say it, it's an when, issue. When become an issue for you. Um, I've always been uber aware of my appearance. Um, and the reason I have is that when you're short, there is a, a re, there's a, I was never a Napoleon, right? I didn't try to overcome my height through power. I would overcome it through voice and through what I hoped were good looks. So I would always take care of my body. And I never really was a big foodie. So even when I'd have the munchies, right, I would not munch junk food. I'd just as soon munch carrots. And that would satiate my munchies regardless of how stoned I was. It didn't matter. I'm not, I'm not going to eat a bag of chips because I was always aware that I'd have to pay for that. And it, it wasn't worth it to me because I didn't get joy out of the bag of chips. I got joy out of being stoned, right? It's, it's, that's the joy. Um, so all through college, all through high school, I was always super aware, but I was always fit. So I've, I've always been athletic. Um, it's just always been there, I would say, as long as I can remember. Well, uh, I really do appreciate your, uh, your honesty and, and you really opening up to us that, that thank you. You're welcome. All right. I'm going to throw it to Lou Rafter, AKA Bruce and sales. Go ahead, Bruce. Hey, David. Um, my question is, have you always not been concerned what people say to you and think about you? Cause it seems uh, like you're, you don't take anything personally. Is that something you learn? Cause I think a lot of people get upset with you at least it seems because they don't rattle you. And so they lose their emotions and call you engaging in scumbuggery. And I was just curious if you learn that or have always been like that. I don't think you can learn it. I've been asked that many times and cause people wish they could learn it. Uh, because it really is hurtful if you take things personally because the world is a harsh place and you can't have, I always wanted to, to, uh, I was always offended by Switzerland, right? Where you don't choose a side. <laughs> I always took the view that I'm going to choose a side and I'm going to believe in the side I choose and I'm going to be okay if people don't agree with me. And I'm not going to change my mind unless intellectual discourse prevails. And that has been my running theory through everything in business and personally. I'm open to change my mind, but I'm never going to be neutral. But I'm only going to change my mind if you teach me that I had a blind spot, that I didn't know something, that my math equation was off because I didn't have the right input numbers. So... I've always been the type, all, as long as I can remember. I grew up in a you know, divorced family and, and some craziness as a child. And I just knew early that I was never going to be the person who would be sensitive because I viewed sensitive people as weak. And as I've gotten older, I really haven't changed my mind about that. <laughs> I view sensitivity as a weakness. And it's a weakness that gets in the way of accomplishing your goal. And I don't like when things get in my way, so I am dismissive of them. Interesting. Uh, we're going to throw it to Jeff now uh, out in California. Jeff's got a question for you. Go ahead. Hey, David. Um, so real quick before uh, I ask my question, and without getting into any specifics about my anxiety crap or anything else, 
I'll just, just to say to the group, this island of misfit toys has been like the best thing that's happened for me as far as all that stuff goes. It's been really helpful. So thank you all for that. Um, but um, I actually have, well, I guess a basketball question for you. Um, so a couple years back when there was the big cap spike in the NBA, um, Michelle Roberts, who's the head of the NBA uh, Players Association, argued that they needed to take – she didn't want to smooth the cap spike. She wanted to take everything up front, right? Now, presumably this coming season with China matters happening earlier on and the COVID issue, there's going to be a precipitous drop in the cap. Now, I'm going to assume Michelle Roberts is going to take the position that she wants to smooth the losses – unlike she did not want to smooth the gains. But I was wondering um, how you felt about all that and what you think like the right move to do, like the right move would be for uh, that situation in a, in a salary cap league. I actually covered this on Nothing Personal today. We talked about NBA free agency. Oh, Jesus. Well, reality. No, no, no. No, but, no not at what do you mean? <laughs> There's so much content. The fact that you even listen once in a while to the show is more than satisfying and more than appreciated by me. But the reason why it was a topic is exactly what you're saying. And I didn't fully get into it because of time. When you want, and it's a very common liberal response that their view is that people in power with money want to share the downside risk, but keep all the upside, right? That's sort of the view of, of many players toward owners. When things are going well, you're not going to pass and we're going to keep all the money. When things are going badly, you're going to cut our salaries. So therefore, we're in a no-win situation, the players would say. Michelle is stuck, and here's why. When that cap spiked, there were teams who signed contracts not thinking they would be over the luxury tax threshold. And if the cap goes down or doesn't go up at the same rate that it has been going, those teams will inadvertently be over. And that is not an acceptable solution for an owner. If I'm an NBA owner, I am making sure that not only is it not spread, but that we get immediate relief because any sort of penalty that I would have to pay as an owner is an unexpected and unacceptable consequence. And Michelle can't say a word about it because she had a choice to go the spread route and she chose the spike route. And so as an owner, I would say to her, we're not going to let you have it both ways. I'm an owner. If we want it both ways, we're going to try and you're a union, you're the employee, we may get away with it. As an employee and as a member of a union, we will not let you get away with having it both ways. So owners have the power. Well, thank you very much. Appreciate it. It's well, David, fascinating, by the way. There's going to be labor, a lot of labor <laughs> issues in the NBA. David, uh, anytime you don't, uh, you know, get to flesh out a topic on nothing personal, feel free to just hit us up and we will have you on and you can discuss anything you want. We are, uh, we are glad to uh, drive traffic our way, you know, um, uh, share the love a little bit. Awesome. Um, <laughs> I'll call I believe, Chester, reach out. 
Yeah, we we really appreciate you joining us tonight. Uh, I think Barrett's got a uh, a topic or a question. Go ahead, Barrett. So what I was trying to say was there's this place in Jacksonville. It's a strip joint, and it's really, really known for its prime rib deals on Tuesdays <laughs> and Saturdays. I was wondering if y'all have any places like that around the country where you guys are from. Ah, that is value added. So are you talking about Lou Williams with the chicken with, with the wings, the great wings in Atlanta? No, no. We, um, similar to that sort of fame, I guess not on a national scale, but there is this place here in town uh, about 10 miles down my house. They're not a sponsor, so they're not getting a plug. But on Tuesdays and Saturdays, they do prime rib. And apparently that's like the spot to go for business meetings uh, to let loose because it's also a strip joint. Like it is the jam on Tuesdays and Saturdays for the rib, prime rib deal. I personally have never met anyone who goes to a strip club for the buffet, but I'm more than happy to tell you I've met many people who say they do. <laughs> I like prime rib. So, it's a- in, so in Albuquerque, there is a uh, establishment uh, with the initials that equal out to be Tom and Daryl's um, that has a lobster and prime rib lunch special every Friday. And from what I hear, it is spectacular. Yeah. Mine's all speculation from what I hear also. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, I'm going to, uh, on that note, I'm going to throw it to Lou Rafter. Uh, I believe he's got uh, a little something for you, David. Go ahead, Lou. Hey, Actually, I got three things. Joyce uh, says, sorry that you lost your beard because she misses it. Um, one, uh, when is the scumbaggery shirt going to make your rotation? And then um, if you saw Coco, we made him a hat. And so we made you a hat tonight that says, we got the fucking bus. My God, I love it. I'm totally wearing that. <laughs> awesome. Yes. Awesome. When you, uh, when you do oh, your oh, marathon – when you do your ultra marathon, uh, we hope we hope you'll be wearing that hat. <laughs> did you did you put your own logo on the back of the hat? I will. Yes. You should do that. Whenever you give a hat to a guest, make sure that you are promoting your brand somewhere on the hat. Yeah, I've been putting the Lauer after on the back, or the laughter hour on the back. You guys have really done. You've built something amazing. You just got to keep going and don't uh, don't ever be satisfied. Thank you so much for joining us again tonight. Uh, one of our only repeat guests, by the way. Um, uh, so you were in a very prestigious club um, and we could not be more thrilled to have you. So on the count of three, can I get a thank you, David? One, two, three. Thank you, David. Thank you, David. Thank you, David. Guys are quite the chorus. <laughs> Good, be smart, be careful, and keep having fun. At the end of the day, that's all that matters. Thanks. Hell yeah, we appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Have a good night, man. Good night, guys. Before we let you go, I want to uh, do a callback to the uh, to Beep Count's question about the movie baseball roster, uh, and find out if you have thought of any anybody if you've had a chance to. All right, so let's go position by position. Okay. So first base, you have to go with Serrano. 
You just okay. have to. I mean, it's he's the first baseman. He is also batting in the middle of the lineup as a number four hole, not the best hitter. That would be my two hole two hole hitter. Um, I want Tom Selleck because I think he'd come with a great group of people around him. So his character I want on the team, but he's okay. sort of my bench guy. Okay. Um, because he's old and slow, but there's something about him that makes me want to be around him sure. as a player and as an actor. Yeah. When I'm looking for leadoff, I'm going to go back to Major League because you got to have Willie Mays Hayes played by Wesley Snipes leading off. So he's leading off and playing center field. Done, done, done. From a starting pitcher standpoint, ooh, can I have, uh, can I use some of the characters in Field of Dreams because they were real players? 100%. Okay, because that obviously makes it quite exciting. So I'm going to have. I'm sorry, Tom, I love you, but I'm going to have John Kinsella catching. And the reason I want him catching is that I like feeling as though I was a better father than I was and a better son than I am. Um, and okay. John Kinsella had an, had a, had an opportunity that uh, I can only dream that I will have. So I want him on the field just in case something good can happen. He's going to be my catcher. Excellent. Um, I'm going to go with not Ray Liotta, but I'm going to go with John Cusack from eight men out that rendition of <laughs> shoeless Joe. Um, while I love Ray Liotta, I was unhappy that he played baseball with the wrong hand, as you recall in field of dreams. So I'm going to go John Cusack. I'm going to put him in the game because I love him and he can be shoeless Joe Jackson. So, the starting pitcher. So, David, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop you right there. John Cusack played Buck Weaver. He didn't he play Buck Shoe Weaver. Who plays Shoeless Joe in Eight Men Out? I'm pulling it up. I'm I'm getting Coca on this one here. Coca. <laughs> so, can I still have John Cusack even though I don't know that player? Because yeah, he, he, John Cusack. He, he was a second baseman. Buck Weaver. Uh, Shoeless Joe is played by DB Sweeney. DB Sweeney. He was the guy. Was he the guy in? Uh, the ice hockey movie. Uh, D.B. Sweeney he, had he some sort of career. Ice. Um, I I'm not thinking about Robbie Benson. I'm th that's an old ice an old figure skating. No, I'm thinking D.B. Sweeney's been in something. Anyway, okay, but I want John Cusack. Okay, manager. The cutting edge. The cutting edge. There you go. Jimmy Duggan. <laughs> was that with Moira Kelly? Yep, it absolutely was. Oh yep. My uh, God. Rich, spoiled figure Duggan. skater played by Moira Kelly. My God. The brain is an <laughs> unbelievable thing, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Why is that in my head? There is a <laughs> no. major piece of information I don't know because <laughs> I know that Moira Kelly and D.B. Sweeney were in a movie together. That is so true. As our as our resident Trojan, I would like to point out that Tom Selleck was actually a pitcher at USC. In real life? Correct. Hmm. I didn't know that. Fun fact. Okay, so I'm going to say I'm going to leave it there, and I'll get you next time. I'm going to really research this in my mind. I want to remember all my baseball movies. I want to get the characters right. You definitely put me on the spot, but I will submit a full lineup. My commitment to you, although – 
it won't be this weekend. I'm actually participating in a play uh, oh, that what? is rehearsing this weekend. And uh, it's taking up a lot of my time because I play Apollo and all of my dialogue is in iambic pentameter. Oh, wow. So it is requiring a huge amount of rehearsal and preparation. And uh, so I'm working on that quite a bit this weekend. So I don't want to mislead you and say I'll get to it this weekend because I know I will not. Hey, no, that, just that, save that, it. That's perfectly fine, David. I, I'll DM you uh, and I'll give you my list and you can kind of uh, feed off of that and that may give you some inspiration. Awesome. Is that something that's going to be a live feed? No. So it's a, it's, it's a, it's a workshop and it's, uh, it is a playwright who wrote an incredible play and he's trying to get it produced and sold. So we hired some actors uh, and me to play parts in the, uh, and it, you have four rehearsals and then a reading. And then he makes amendments to the play and now it's round two of rehearsals and another reading. It's an incredibly interesting play that I hope gets picked up. Uh, I, uh, I started off playing a different role and he called and asked me to think about doing the Apollo role that became a bigger part of the play. And he said, you're gonna have to work, but he knows he's, he's been around me and he was actually the director when I did the Saturday Night Live, not ready for prime time. And so I've been able to work with him before and uh, he knows I'll put in the work because I don't sleep a lot. But uh, doing iambic pentameter is uh, complicated, but it's- Yes, it is. Cool. Well, if you attack that, uh in anywhere close to the fashion that you have approached any of your other endeavors, it will be phenomenal. So good luck hey, with I that. Um, and uh, as far as the lineup goes, I, I'm fine with you just joining us again at some point <laughs> and filling out that roster. I don't know about anybody else, um, but uh, you know, uh, feel free to stop by anytime. And, uh, and, and we would, we would love to have you again, David Sampson, Thanks for listening to this episode of Lauer After Hours. You can always reach us on Twitter at Lauer After Hours or Instagram at Lauer After Hours. We're available wherever you get podcasts, so don't forget to download, subscribe, review, and rate five stars.